Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. James Comey says it makes him slightly nauseous to think he might have influenced the outcome of the election. Yeah, why didn't he think about that before he made that big announcement about Hillary's reopening his investigation into Hillary's emails? Hello, everybody. What do you say on a Thursday? Thursday, March 4. Good to see you today. And it's good to have you with us here on the Bill Press Show. We are in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. That's where we start out, ending up right alongside of you everywhere you happen to be in this great land of ours. Good to see you today. We will uh, take you through the news of the day from uh, Capitol Hill and from uh, the White House particularly and uh, find out what it all means to you when you send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Yes, indeed, a busy day. Uh, yesterday, trying to scramble to get the votes for the, uh, to re- in the House, Republicans scrambling to get the votes to repeal Obamacare. It's their third attempt. This time they say they do have the votes, and they have scheduled a vote sometime this afternoon. Uh, They'll go through with it if they have the votes. We'll see how that works down. Once again, Donald Trump promising to deliver peace to the Middle East, where no other president has been able to do so. The House did vote to keep the government running through September. And President Obama unveils the plan for his big presidential center. Uh, Yes. No. All right. (laughs) I thought Peter had a, a comment there to make. All of that and more coming up. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. So I like it when good things happen to talented people. That is exactly what happened. I do, too. Jordan Peele, the uh, creative mind behind the movie Get Out. Did you ever see Get Out, by the way? No. You like Get Out, I think. It's a good movie. Jordan Peele signed a first look deal with Universal yesterday. It's a two-year deal where uh, he is going to be writing, directing, producing more movies for them, which is a big win for him. I'm happy with that. Big win for African-American directors, by the way, who are uh, very underrepresented in Hollywood. That's very true. Very, very true. Uh, Another story, by the way, coming out of the entertainment world. Stephen Colbert yesterday addressed the recent controversy surrounding Fire Colbert. That is the trending hashtag because he made some jokes 
about Donald Trump, some jokes which we probably should not repeat here, but he came back yesterday and said, welcome to The Late Show. I am your host, Stephen Colbert. Still, I am the host. I'm still the host. (laughs) And then went on to say that he used some words that some people didn't like, and maybe he would change some of those words, but he does not regret saying what he said. So not backing down. I'm not going to back down off of it. But that's sort of his. Has he ever backed down off of anything? No, I don't know. I mean, this yeah. is not. I mean, well, this is the first sort of controversy really that I can think of with Colbert because yeah. he played yeah. a character for so long, and now with this, it's just only recently that he's gotten so political. But it's, uh, it's late night, but it's also CBS, yeah. and CBS is not exactly you know a progressive network. Right. So. Well, I must say, I didn't see it, and I haven't watched the video. Now that you intrigued me about all these words that we can say on our show, I'm going to go back and watch the video. Yeah, you probably should. All you right. You probably should. And uh, I know you're getting on a plane soon, Bill. Do you know which airline you're flying? But Yes. Actually, I'm flying United. Ooh. Oh, wow. Uh, Sorry. But I have some breaking news. Go ahead. Yeah, Donald Trump is tweeting this morning. Just I think it's apropos right now, right? He says... The fake news media is officially out of control. They will do or say anything in order to get attention. Never been a time like this. Talk about somebody who will say or do anything to get attention. I watch these shows and the pundits in the morning. They don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, guess what? I know what I'm talking about. You don't know what what you're talking about, dude. I mean, yeah, it's... Well, I'll, I'll, sorry, I'll save dude, the airline story for when we get to it <laughs> right. when we oh, have yeah, a little no, more no, time. But, uh, Should I change my reservation? Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger, I'll tell you in the next hour. Stay tuned. Oh, my God. On TV and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hey, hello, friends and neighbors. Yes, indeed, it is The Bill Press Show on a Thursday, May 4. So good to see you today, and thank you for joining us. All part of the Young Turks Network, coming at you on every platform, every level we can, in every direction we can, just to keep you off guard. Uh, and make sure you know you cannot escape us because we're there with you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We're there with you on Free Speech TV, a part of the Direct uh, Direct TV. We're there with you on WCPT out in the greater area, uh, greater Chicago area. And, of course, uh, now on uh, Patreon, patreon.com, in addition to our podcast every day. Go to iTunes or to YouTube, uh, BillPressShow.com. And on Patreon, exclusive content coming up. Uh, first big thing a little bit later today. Uh, and so go to Patreon.com slash Show. Sign up and um, even more stuff in addition to our regular show every day will be coming your way. Just to be clear, when you go to Patreon.com slash Show, you have to pay yeah. to get some of the content. Just, not, we're not going to lie to you. You got to pay, but there is... There are lots of different tiers and ways that you can help out. Like if you want to just give a very little bit, that's cool. There's a little bit of a higher uh, uh, monthly subscription where we will give you behind-the-scenes stuff, interviews off-site. We get out of the studio. We go interview people in their studios and in their offices. Uh, We're working on a podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. You'll have exclusive access to that before anybody else. So go check it out, patreon.com 
slash BP show. Um, and if you want to kick in a little bit more, there's also some really cool stuff in there that we do, like a personalized video from you, Bill, mm-hmm. if people and, want to kick in some money. And um, Carol, my wife, signed up. Oh, nice. Um, so, you know, uh, so it can't be too expensive. <laughs> okay. Good. Because she's cheap. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh God, I hope she's not watching. Uh, yeah, uh, let's put it, or she's spendthrift, I think is a better way of saying it. That's but, a nice way to say it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man, so much to talk about today. Yes, indeed. And, you know, maybe the big biggest breaking news yesterday was, uh, or the biggest, just disgusting event, I thought, was James Comey testifying in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. He was grilled. He was really grilled, roasted by uh, Senate Democrats, particularly over what he did at the very end of the uh, 2016 presidential campaign. We remember October 28, October 28, which is, remember, the election is November 8. Where James Comey suddenly announces, uh, yeah, you know, last summer I told you that uh, uh, there was nothing to Hillary Clinton's emails. Yeah, it was sloppy. She was careless, but she didn't do anything illegal. And there was nothing incriminating there. And there was no breach of national security. So it's all uh, over, over. We're moving on. Well, then October 28th, he says, oh, da 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 da. We discovered some more emails there on Huma, Huma Abedin's laptop that she shared with her husband. Uh, the disgrace, uh, disgraced Anthony Weiner. So we're reopening the investigation. He said, we're not sure what's in there, but we're going to find out. But I want to tell the whole world we're uh, reopening the investigation, which certainly had a major impact on the on the election. Uh, and uh, I remember we talked about it at the time, and we said, why didn't he find out what was in there before he made this big announcement? Uh, he didn't. Uh, but about a week later... He announced, oh, yeah, now we've looked at them and there's nothing new. And so it was all a hullabaloo about nothing. Uh, How does Comey feel about that today? He told the senators yesterday it makes him sick to his stomach. Look, this was terrible. It makes me mildly nauseous to think that we might have had some impact on the election. But honestly, it wouldn't change the decision. Everybody who disagrees with me has to come back to October 28th with me and stare at this and tell me what you would do. I'll tell you what I would do. Again, just like uh, several senators told him yesterday, what you would do is find out what you've got before you announce it to the public. And what you would do is say to yourself, okay, we have a policy at the Justice Department. We do not comment on ongoing investigations. Certainly, we don't comment on anything close to an election that in any way, any way, even the slightest chance, might influence the outcome of that election. Uh, Comey violated that policy, ignored that policy, or let's put it this way. He made an exception to that policy for Hillary Clinton. He did not make an exception to that policy for the criminal investigation they were conducting about Donald Trump and possible ties to Russia. Tell me what you would do. Yeah. Tell me what I'd do. Do the right thing. He still insists, even today, despite all the criticism, he says he made the right choice. It was very important that I tell them instead of concealing. And reasonable people can disagree, but that's the reason I made that choice. And it was a hard choice. I still believe in retrospect the right choice, as painful as this has been. Yeah, well, it was painful, yeah, painful to the country today, painful to, to all of us who believe 
in the system of justice and and the practice of the Justice Department not to interfere uh, in an election. And this one I thought was very interesting is that Comey admits that one of his attorneys warned him, you realize you might be helping elect Donald Trump by doing this, dude. One of my junior lawyers said, should you consider that what you're about to do may help elect Donald Trump president? And I said, thank you for raising that. Not for a moment, because down that path lies the death of the FBI as an independent institution in America. Well, he took that path, and I think he has destroyed the reputation of the FBI as an independent uh, organization, independent uh, investigating arm of the of the Justice Department. It's going to be it's going to take a long time. I don't think Comey ever restores his reputation. I think it's going to take a long time for the FBI to get its reputation back. Uh, again, made an exception. Oh, no, we have to tell the world about reopening a Hillary Clinton investigation. But no, we're not going to tell the world that we are also investigating Donald Trump for helping Russia hack, allegedly, helping Russia hack this election and influence the outcome of, of this election Tell Senator, me what you would do. <laughs> yeah, right. Senator Diane Feinstein afterwards was asked, uh, she was on with uh, uh, Chuck Todd on Meet the Press Daily. Uh, so, Senator, did he convince you? Did Director Comey convince you that he made the right decision? No. As a matter of fact, it went strongly the other way. I went back to the office. I read the policy of the FBI with respect to announcing things shortly before an election. This was 11 days before. He didn't get a search warrant to see what was in the Wiener computer, but I guess he made an assumption. (laughs) Sorry, I'm a child. Uh, so anyhow, he didn't get a search warrant to no, see what was in, in the, the Wiener, Wiener computer. computer. See what's in the Wiener computer. Yeah. So that was uh, that was Comey <laughs> yesterday, and of course we haven't we have not heard the end of that. Uh, well, Comey was testifying, by the way, uh, Donald Trump down at the White House, uh, welcoming another foreign leader, uh, Palestinian Authority President uh, Mahmoud Abbas. Uh, and just breathe a sigh of relief, folks. Um, you know, we have been, oh, for the last 20, 30 years, worrying about how we could ever bring peace to the Middle East, resolve the conflict between uh, the Palestinian Authority and Israel or the Arab nations surrounding Israel and Israel. Uh, it's, uh, it's nice to know that it's all behind us because Donald Trump is going to deliver He said once again yesterday, count on me, I'll get it done. We want to create peace between Israel and the Palestinians. We will get it done. We will be working so hard to get it done. Isn't that it? Is it it comforting? I'll tell you. Yes. Problem solved. Problem solved. Problem solved. And who is going to uh, bring the two parties together? Who else? The deal maker. I would love to be a mediator or an arbitrator or a facilitator, and we will get this done. I'll yep. give I'll give Jamie Benson a little credit. Yesterday, yep. he said Donald Trump is going to come out and he's going to say, "I think that finding peace in the Middle East will be easier than uh, than people think." And he actually came out and said that yesterday. Right. <laughs> it's just so predictable. But he though. actually came out and insinuated that. It's not going to be so hard to get peace in the Middle East. No. All these guys before were just amateurs. But I'll I would love to be a mediator or an arbitrator or a facilitator. Spell mediator or arbitrator or facilitator. 
But there's efficiencies, duplicity. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know what? You know what? <laughs> uh, he will bring peace to me. And if only he had been alive, he could have solved. The, there would have been no civil war either, because Fair. he would have made the deal. Yeah. Right. You know who could have solved the uh, the Middle East uh, problems? Andrew, Andrew Jackson. Jackson. Andrew Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Too bad he was alive at the time. <laughs> uh, we'll talk a little bit more about um, Donald Trump and uh, whatever whatever his foreign policy is, if anybody can can figure out what his foreign policy is, if he has any. With Joe Sirincioni from the Plow Show, is funded a little bit later. Uh, and by the way, special guest today, John Ayadarola from the uh, from the Her- Young Turks. We're all part of the Young Turks Network. And here's a Young Turk himself coming in uh, in Hapsis B in town, going to be joining us. And then two great Democratic members of Congress uh, joining us a little bit later, uh, just about 15 minutes from now, Jan Schakowsky from uh, Illinois, and a little bit later, Mark Pocan from uh, Wisconsin. Two great progressive uh, members of uh, Congress coming in. Uh, The other big news on this end of Capitol Hill yesterday, down at the uh, United States Congress, was the continuing effort to round up enough Republican votes to get repeal of Obamacare out of the House of Representatives in any form whatsoever. All they need, anything, anything that they can put together that would get 216 votes, they don't give a damn what is in it. They just want to get rid of it and get that over to the U.S. Senate. It looks like they might, they might, they might have the votes. I was down at the Congress yesterday uh, uh, for, for a meeting, and walking out of the Rayburn building, I ran into the cluster of reporters. Uh, Peter Ducey from Fox was there, Nancy Cordes from uh, CBS, and a whole bunch of others, and they were all hovered right near the door. Uh, and I know all of them, so I said hello, and I said, what the hell are you waiting for? What's going on? They were waiting for Fred Upton and Billy Long to get back from the White House because the day before, Fred Upton from Michigan and Billy Long from Louisiana had said, we're not going to vote for this turkey. Uh, And then Donald Trump says, come on down to the White House. Let's see if we can make a deal. Uh, Billy Long and uh, Fred Upton come out after their meeting, and Billy Long announces, yes, we totally flipped. We're here announcing that with this addition that we brought to the president and sold him on and over an hour meeting in here with him, there were both yeses on the bill. Uh-oh. So they God, went, I love it when guys that sound like that make policy. They're going to screw yeah. millions of Americans. Right, right. Uh, and, and Billy, We don't know what we're talking about. Doesn't know anything he's talking about. Uh, and Billy Long says, well, there were two things in Obamacare that I liked and two things that uh, I insisted had to be in this bill. Again, Billy Long yesterday from Louisiana. But after they passed Obamacare, I said, there's two good things I like about it, pre-existing conditions and keeping kids 26 on their folks' insurance. And so I'll always stand for what I believe. Yeah, right. You know, he doesn't, again, Peter, you just said, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And so here's the deal. This whole vote, and by the way, they may not get the votes today. This is their third attempt. They say they've got them. But they're really still counting. They said that before. They need 216. They've said that before. Exactly. So there will or will not be a vote. If there is, it'll be very, very, very close. Uh, and the way this, it, it, it's, it's, you, you got to understand how this came down. So what happened was, remember, the last time 
they couldn't get the extreme right wing, the so-called Freedom Caucus on the bill, because they thought it was too much like Obamacare. So they, so they made a deal with the Freedom Caucus that pre-existing additions would remain, coverage for people with pre-existing conditions would remain in the bill, but states could have a waiver that they could drop it if they didn't like it, or to be totally, uh, the, the, the real specifics are, that states could allow insurance companies to charge people who have dealing with cancer, epilepsy, diabetes, heart problems, high blood pressure, whatever the pre-existing condition is, that insurance companies could charge them a hell of a lot more for insurance. They would not be automatically covered at the same premium the way they are under Obamacare. In other words, they allowed states to get rid of, drop the pre-existing conditions. So that created problems for some people like Fred Upton and Billy Long and the so-called Tuesday group or moderate Republicans. So what, what, what Upton and Billy Long convinced Donald Trump of yesterday is so they're going to keep that waiver in there for the states, but on top of that now, they're going to pump eight, put $8 billion into this bill, $8 billion over five years, to create a special pool, a federal pool of funds to help people with pre-existing conditions if states want to help them and if states want to apply and if there's enough money to go around. It is an every single health policy expert today is quoted in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, everywhere you look as saying, this is an insane idea. It's not enough money. It won't work. And what it does is take us right back to the way it used to be before Obamacare, when insurance companies could stick it to everybody with any pre-existing addition and make them charge so much that they could never afford health insurance. And you have an insurance pool that's filled with nothing but really sick people, and there's not enough money to help them all. Okay. On that note, right, this wonderful amendment that they're all lining up and saying now they can support this bill because this amendment yeah. saves this health care repeal and replace, right. okay? Under this amendment, this Sorry, is what I it does. A, I need a drink. Uh, yeah, I don't all blame right. you. This is what this okay. amendment does. <clears throat> if you have asthma, the estimated hike in premiums go up $4,000. If you have diabetes, it goes up $5,000. If you are pregnant, it goes up $17,000. If you have arthritis, it goes up $26,000. If you are a cancer patient in America, the hike in your premium will go up $140,000. Mm. So you have cancer and you have your you see your premium get hiked. Yeah. $140,000. That is what Republicans are so excited about now. That's what swayed these guys yeah. to say it's a good bill now. That This is their... This this, is, this No, this is insane. Great insane. idea. By the way, um, uh, everybody, the figures I've seen, the same figures this morning, there are between 50 million and 129 million Americans who have some kind of a pre-existing condition. That... Fifty. Okay, so this is what Republicans. Who, who's the idiot that came up with this idea, saying, con, who convinced Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump? And by the way, I think they're the three idiots who came up with the idea. But at any rate, I digress. 
Who is the idiot who came up with this idea? Here we are. Look at this. We control the House and the Senate and the White House. We control everything. So for our first priority, let's rip health insurance away from the 22 million people who have been able to sign up for it for the first time in their lives under Obamacare, including like 12 million people who have coverage under Medicaid who could never get it before, thanks to Obamacare. And take away this ability of people with pre-existing conditions who now could buy health insurance for the first time, take that away from them, and this is a good thing. And one other point, they are doing this, they're going to have this vote today when they don't even have a bill in print yet. They're going to do this today without a bill in print and without the Congressional Budget Office scoring the legislation, which Republicans always said, no, 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 no. We will not operate that way. We will not do things that way. It is not right to do things that way. In fact, nobody is stronger on that. Go to his website. Go to Paul Ryan's website, and this is the pledge that he makes. I don't think we should pass bills that we haven't read, that we don't know what they cost. I mean, I don't think that's being abusive. (laughs) Yeah, Paul Ryan. That's what he's told MSNBC in 2009, and it is still up on his website as his creed about how to approach legislation. Let's hear it again. We do not do this. I don't think we should pass bills that we haven't read, that we don't know what they cost. I mean, I don't think that's being abusive. Uh, (laughs) Yes, it is. It is abusing the system. So they just came up with this deal like last night. They don't have a bill in print. They don't have any. They don't know how. So without what that means, the Congressional Budget Office scoring, they don't know how much it will cost. They don't know what it will cost consumers. They don't know what it will cost the federal government. They don't know what it will cost American taxpayers. They don't know what the impact is. They're still going to vote on it today. Why? Because they want to get this vote out of the House. They want to get it over to the Senate, where it is DOA, by the way. There's no way the Senate's going to go along with this piece, piece of crap. But the House wants to, this behind them so they can run out there and say, promise made, promise kept. We promised you we are going to appeal Obamacare. We don't care if it destroys your families. We've done it. I'm old enough to remember in 2010 when Paul Ryan said that bills must be online for three full days before mm-hmm. any vote happens. Now, they scheduled this vote yesterday before they even had the text of the bill. Not the CBO yeah. score. Yeah. The text of the bill. So they literally didn't have the bill finished, and they scheduled a vote and said, we got the votes. We're doing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and but they have no idea what they're doing. So they think this is good politics. Let me tell you something. I have to tell you, uh, maybe nobody else would say this. I think this could be the best thing that's ever happened to the Democratic Party. Because I know publicly we're all going to condemn them for taking this vote. Publicly condemn them for voting on this bill. Uh, and, to, and, and and repealing Obamacare, whatever happens in the Senate. But think about it. I think privately Democrats are saying, bring it on, baby. Yeah. yeah. You go out there. I just was looking this morning. Now, 60% of the American people now. So, yeah, there was a lot of opposition to Obamacare by the, paid for, fueled by Koch Brothers money back in 2009 before it kicked in. 
at those town hall meetings, right, when they were debating it. And people turned out those meetings, again, fueled by the Koch brothers. Now, eight years later, we've had eight years, almost seven years, really, of Obamacare. And people are under it, and they've signed up, and they're enjoying that protection for themselves and for their families. Obamacare now, for the first time, there are more people who believe Obamacare is a good plan than believe it's a bad plan. That's all the polls show that. And the latest Pew poll shows that 60% of the American people think now it is the duty, responsibility of the federal government to make sure that every single American has health insurance, which is like universal health care. Yeah. 60% of the American people now support it. So Republicans are making a big mistake. They, are, Yeah, let them, let them repeal it, even if it doesn't pass the Senate in this form. Let these House Republicans repeal it. And whether they voted to repeal or not to repeal, they're going to have to go out not that long from now, six months from now, and face their voters and say, we took away from you the only health insurance that you have ever had in your lives, the only way you could ever afford it, the only protection you could ever have. And yes, you people, you 50, 50 to 129 million people who have some kind of a, mil- of, of a medical problem, we're going to make you pay whatever those numbers were, Peter, you know, another 5000 or yeah. 8000 or $140,000 for your, for your health insurance. Let them defend this. This, they won on Obamacare, got the House back on Obamacare in 2010. They will lose yeah. the House on Obamacare in 2018. You're absolutely That's right. my judgment, my prediction. You watch. My conviction. You watch what's going to happen in 2018 when you have all these Democrats, this anger and frustration and excitement for new blood and new candidates, and these new candidates are going to come in and they're going to steamroll all these Republicans who uh, came out and and are trying to – the thing is they can't defend the merits of the bill. They're just fighting – just to, just to fight, right? Like, they've already taken a couple yeah. losses on this. They can't get the votes together. They finally have this one cobbled-together piece of junk. And they're going to they're gonna lose their asses over it. Yeah. You're right. It's yeah. going to be ugly. It is. It is, and uh, they will have brought it on themselves. Okay. We've promised you uh, one of the best progressives in the United States Congress. She's here. Congresswoman Jen Schakowsky joins us next. We're also going to be joined by John Ayotarola, a real young Turk, one of the original band from Los Angeles in town, joins us both. Coming up next here on The Bill Press Show. I would love to be a mediator or an arbitrator or a facilitator. There's efficiencies, duplicity. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say? It is a Thursday, Thursday, May 4, the Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill. Brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Yes, indeed, the good men and women of our fire departments. We count on them every day. They never let us down, protecting American families every single day of the year. 
under President Harold Schaidberger. We salute them, thank them for the support of the uh, program. We tell you all the time that we are part of the Young Turks Network nationwide, uh, and we're very pleased to welcome, uh, to join our crew this morning, a Young Turk himself, a uh, <laughs> member of the, the, I guess, the mothership out in Los Angeles, John Ayodrola. Hi, John. Good to uh, see you. Good to see you, too. Always uh, always glad to be on the show. Co-host. We got you on those L.A. hours. You're either up early or up yeah. uh, really late. So. I'm, I'm half up right now. <laughs> okay, <so>. fair. <laughs> so we had to bring uh, John in today because we have a very special guest who uh, <laughs> we're going to have a lot to talk about with. Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky, one of our best friends, representing the 9th Congressional District of Illinois, right in the middle of the big battle over health care. Hello, Congresswoman. I'm so happy to be here. Nice to see Uh you. Yeah. Uh, President Obama unveiling his big, uh, a presidential center, not just a library. Yeah. That's going to be be a big addition for Chicago. Chicago, my hometown. Yeah. And his hometown. Well, adopted hometown. His adopted hometown. hometown. We claim him. You still claim him? (laughs) No question. Right. So what is it with this health care bill and pre-existing conditions, and where are they right now? Do you think they've got the votes? Well, we will see. You know, we were minutes before a vote the last time, and they had to pull the bill. Um, They may have the vote in every sense, Bill. This is a colossal mistake, including, I believe, politically for them. This is a terrible bill. This will strip. We haven't. We don't have a a full report on this version, but it's worse than the last. Uh, in order to get some some votes from the Freedom Caucus, they made it even worse, threatening to take away. This will take away, regardless of what they say, the protections um, for people with pre-existing conditions. This will allow states to take away those protections and the measly amount of money that they say that is going to be able to cover those people will not do the job. Even Republican analysts look at that and say, no way. I can hardly understand, except that they have promised and promised and voted over 60 times to undo Obamacare. I can't understand why they would go away, uh, go, go this way, put their name, as, as uh, Nancy Pelosi, our Democratic leader, said, that vote will be tattooed on their forehead, <laughs> and we will remember, and we will organize. Do you have a printed bill that you're going to be voting have on? Have not seen a thing. Have not <laughs> seen a thing. I mean, it's just the you know process. I don't know if your listeners care about process, but it really sucks. <laughs> How about um, the Congressional Budget Office? How do they score this? Bill? Yeah, no, we have, don't have a CBO score. Um, it was 24, the last version, 24 million people would lose their health care. Um, we know that it will still have what we call an age tax. Look out. People who are 50 to 64 years old, that's pre-Medicare, we're going to see this colossal increase, um, as much as $13,000 more a year than under Obamacare. But uh, wait a minute. I, uh, uh, Jamie, so... If you don't have a bill in print and you mm-hmm. don't have a CBO score, mm-hmm. we would never, never pass that legislation. Will be. Let's ask Speaker Paul Ryan. I don't think we should pass bills that we haven't read, that we don't know what they cost. I mean, that, I don't think that's being abusive. Paul he Ryan. very reasonable there. Yeah, yeah right? Very reasonable for Paul Ryan. That that's was back in the day. When he, he used to say that when Democrats yeah. were proposing uh, the Affordable Care Act, the bill had to be online for three days. Mm-hmm. That was their. He they insisted on that. 
right? Yeah. yeah. This bill's not way, even going to be up for three hours by the time they vote on it. I, I just like, want to yeah. point out this is taken from his website today. Yeah. He oh. said that in 2009. This is still up on Paul Ride's website today. Message to Paul take it down <laughs> because <laughs> it isn't true. Or Stop how, lying. How about <laughs> message to Paul? You practice what you preach. Right, exactly. it, it's like the old Donald Trump tweets on an, almost any topic he speaks on. You can search his Twitter history and find him on the not only the opposite side of that issue, but all possible sides of that issue. They really yeah. should pay more attention to their Internet history. <laughs> you um, uh, you mentioned pre-existing conditions. This seems, first of all, it is almost amusing that Republicans have suddenly discovered that this is an important part of Obamacare that they really <laughs> can't throw away. Right. Because so many people have been able to take advantage Look, of it. The, the last version had 17% of Americans that supported it. That's before they took away pre-existing conditions protections. 17% supported it. That's like a unanimous no from the American people. That's as close as we get to a total consensus. And believe me, there has to be a lot of Trump voters, obviously, in that mix. You know, and... Healthcare is so personal, Bill. It's like, wait a minute. I think this is me. <clears throat> I'm going to be the one that's paying more, and I'm going to be the one that could lose my health care. And now, you know, think of think Jimmy Kimmel, think your mother-in-law, think anyone you know yourself. Anyone of a certain age is going to have a pre-existing condition, yeah. and no longer will that be guaranteed to be covered. Unless you're a young stud like John Iarola, who was not going to get sick. And I thought you were talking about me for oh. a second. And doesn't yeah, need yeah. health insurance. And Yeah. Uh, well, the thing is, in America at least, I mean, there are the sorts of pre-existing conditions like congenital uh, conditions that you're born with that uh, Representative Mo Brooks had to be taught about yesterday uh, when he said, or two days ago when he said that uh, people who live good lives don't get oh. pre-existing conditions. Yeah. But then there's the sort that we inevitably get. If you simply live your life in America, if you eat the regular food made available to Americans, you will develop a variety of chronic conditions that will count later on in life as pre-existing conditions. I mean, things like hypertension and obesity, uh, diabetes, these are not rare conditions anymore. This isn't the 1900s. These are almost inevitable conditions that a huge percentage of Americans will get. And for some reason, at least for Republican congressmen, they don't seem to acknowledge that or understand it. And of course, while the effectively getting rid of protections for pre-existing conditions is the worst of these waivers, it's not the only of, of the waivers that are that are scary. Uh, taking away minimum coverage requirements and having your health insurance actually mean something, actually represent something. I, I mean, if they can get a waiver for that sort of thing, then we're right back to where we were at before Obamacare, where you could technically yeah. have health insurance, even high-priced health insurance. But if you get sick, it's worth nothing. That, that's where really yeah. where they're going, aren't they? Right back. Before. Yeah, the essential benefits um, package, which is essential. Yeah. Things like going to an emergency room, um, maternity coverage, mm -hmm. all of that, not charging women more uh, than, than, than men. You know, women before Obamacare paid about 48% more in their lifetime for, for health care. Being a woman was a pre-existing condition. <laughs> um, Especially giving birth. Definitely. And giving birth. Only 12% of insurance companies covered maternity and uh, delivery care. Um, it, it, it's just shocking. But you know what they get from it? A $600 billion tax break for the wealthiest Americans. The top 400 families in this country, individuals in this country, will get an average of a $7 million tax cut every year. 
because they do this. That's what it's about. If they want to move on to tax reform, they need this bill in order to provide the basis, the $600 billion. Once again, it's really a uh, sort of a, a disguised as a health care bill, they say, but it's a tax cut for the very, very rich. All right. So um, yesterday, I, I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, I was down at the Capitol yesterday in the Rayburn building. And as I was walking out, there's a whole cluster of reporters, all of whom I knew. And I said, what the hell are you guys doing here? They were waiting for Fred Upton and Billy Long to get back from the White House to talk about the fact that suddenly they had changed overnight. Well, in an hour meeting with Donald Trump, they had gone from a no vote to a yes vote because they were able to convince Donald Trump the way to deal with these pre-existing conditions that we leave the waiver in so states can get out of it. That's right. But we're going to have this special fund created and we're going to put $8 billion in it that people who have pre-existions can all tap into, so they're all going to be covered and there's no problem anymore. All except 99%. It would cover about 1% of the people who have pre-existing conditions. That $8 billion is supposed to be over five years. It's a ridiculous amount. It is not going to cover people, um, and states will do it. We know that some of these states will absolutely move, probably quickly, um, to to take away those benefits. Just like they did not allow expansion of Medicaid, right? Yeah. I mean, I forget how many states, but yeah, no, no, dozens. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This is a disaster. It's immoral. It's malicious, and uh, and and it's also, as I said, this is perilous. For the Republicans to to do yeah. that, there's going to be a huge rally at the uh, uh, at the Capitol um, today. This is not going to be forgotten, and I do think that we're going to have such a huge coalition, including um, independents, Democrats, Republicans, and Trump voters, who are going to say no way. I want to ask both of you about that that particularly because Republicans found a wedge issue in Obamacare. Right. And they used it and they found themselves in power in, in, in Congress because they ran against it. It, it. Presidentially, it was a big loser for them, but they did run against Obamacare. And it, it proved well in 2010. They got the House. back. They got the House back. Yeah. So Democrats are in a very similar position. So you, both of you talk to a lot of progressives uh, in different formats. But like, where do progressives go if this actually goes through? How do they fight this and how do they sort of take the power back? Well, first of all, we're going to focus now on the on the Senate. Um, I think this bill is not going to go. Uh, uh, you know, I, I say it cautiously because I never totally trust. The I know, no, I know. I, I have say the same it cautiously, <laughs> but it, the, I, it, it will certainly um, change in, in the Senate. But the focus now will also be on the Senate as we continue to hammer away um, on the uh, Republicans who voted for it in the House, um, and and then we take it right into the 2018 elections. Um, what we have as a resistance out there is so much bigger than what we saw in 2009, 2010 yeah. from the, the Tea Party. This I've never seen as an organizer most of my adult life, really all of my adult life, I've never seen a mobilization as yeah. big as this. Yeah, I've been at many of the marches in L.A., and they're just amazing. When the Women's March, I've never seen that many people, uh, and that was day one, one day after the inauguration. Uh, I'm glad that we're, we're talking about the Senate because that, that's really the second level of how technically unsound this, this move is from the Republicans in the Congress, that it would be bad enough to, uh, to pass it if it had a chance of passing in the Senate, to tar yourself, to tattoo yourself as the, uh, uh -huh. the representative. 
Um, but if you're going to do that and write the campaign ads against yourself, knowing that it's not going to pass or it's unlikely to pass anyway, you have to wonder how any of these people got elected in the first place. Yeah, right. um, yeah and look, it, it's certainly, if nothing else, it's, it's effective at two things. As we pointed out, providing millions or billions of dollars in tax cuts for people who are already the most wealthy people in the history of the planet, but also in drawing an amazing moral distinction between the parties and our priorities. And the, the scary thing from my point of view is we have President Obama who passes a bill and suddenly people who never had health insurance suddenly have it. And now it might be taken away under the Republicans. Well, so theoretically, what? In four years or in eight years, we get another Democratic president back and we pass a new bill. People could live or die based on whether they get sick under one administration or the other. And I, it's an unacceptable situation yeah. for us to be in it as a country. You know, Congressman, I saw this morning. Um, again, we know that this was a political liability for Democrats at one time. Right. But that's before people were able to sign up, before people started even Trump voters started benefiting from the protection that they had, which they never had before in their lives. I saw this morning that 60 percent of the American people now say it's a responsibility of the American government to make sure that every American has health insurance. And Obama, more people think Obamacare is a good plan than a bad plan. You know, for the first time um, since yeah. this debate has gone on when they've tried to take it away. Right. Um, you know, well, maybe so, we didn't do such a good job of explaining what was in it in the first well, place. But by once the way, people that's, got uh, that's a, that's it. That's absolutely okay, sure. Okay. But once people have something, taking it away is much worse and much harder and much more damaging to them um, taking it away than the, prospe the prospect of having Obamacare. And, you know, they learned finally, I think, that the Affordable Care Act, yeah, that is Obamacare. People would say, you know, I that that Affordable Care Act, that's okay. But I hate that Obamacare. It's the same thing. So so finally, when, when people understood, and it was a quick learning curve um, that the American people had to finally understand really what, what it meant. And, you, and, you know, yeah, Bill... They could go to the doctor. They could go to a clinic. They yeah. could... They, it, it didn't when have... You need it's nice. And nobody, <laughs> nobody likes it. Um, that's the thing. I mean, we, we've been uh, the the, the um, American Medical Association, the AARP with its 38 million members strong, um, all of the uh, the, the providers. Um, there, there really isn't an interest group except maybe, I don't know, the insurance companies, and I think the Heritage uh, Foundation is still for it, um, that, that says this is a, a good idea. This is widely panned across the, the nation, across all of the stakeholders who say this is terrible. So the, the, I, I, I don't really get it. The calculation, the political calculation, um, uh, you know, as was mentioned, is really confusing to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jen, to your point, uh, I wanted to ask you, Congresswoman, that it, it does seem so they know, they, 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 re they have to know this bill may not pass the Senate at all. It's certainly not going to pass the Senate in its present form. No. Yeah. Now, so, but this is what they did when they did not have control of the Senate and they just had control of the House. They, they did message bills. 65 times they, whatever it is. Somebody told us the other day it's as many as 74 times. We all lost count. Right. How many times the House Republicans voted to repeal Obamacare? Well, every time there was a new class of freshmen, they, they had to have the opportunity yeah. to vote no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they did it knowing there was not a, a, not a chance that it would ever pass the Senate. They were just doing message bills. But that's when they were not out of power. Now they control everything. But it seems to me they're still operating 
under the old rules. Well, you know, right? we, we call it, this the is like the plan. dog that caught the car. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no. Now what do I do? Um, and, and so that's exactly right. They, they made this, uh, this promise, and now they feel committed to actually go, going home and saying to the, 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 I guess, to the Tea Party that we kept, we kept our promise. But it is such a hollow, um, immoral, malicious um, uh, bill and, and law um, that I, I, I don't understand why they think that they are doing themselves a favor or certainly their constituents. You know, for I, years, they have been um, embracing all the bad of Obamacare. And I agree. And we have begged them, let's sit down and let's do some of the corrections that we knew from day one. I helped write the bill. And we knew as soon as it passed that we were going to have to make some adjustments. But they would hold up these letters and say, oh, Mrs. Jones can't get her chemotherapy. And I was always tempted to say, would you give me her name and phone number? <laughs> because we will do constituent service and try and help this woman. And in the meantime, why don't we sit down and try and fix some of the flaws? Yeah. They never would do that. Yeah. Well, and, and look, so you referenced the polls about people's changing opinion, uh, not just on this bill, but on the, the fundamental moral imperative for the government to, to deal with this, for this to be an area where the government is, is inherently involved. Um, it doesn't just provide support for the idea that we can stop the Republicans now from, from tearing those, those bills away, but it also sets the stage for later on, once we have a sane administration again, to, to either strengthen Obamacare or to move past it into something more all-encompassing that provides better protections and better quality of service and access to service even beyond it, regardless of what form that comes in. I, I think that this is... We start with a public plan option. That would be... Perhaps. That, that's one thing people have talked about. <laughs> on my a list. public um, option, yes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, something like that. And so we're in a scary situation right now, but uh, the incompetence of the Republicans is thankfully making it a little bit easier to manage. Although it shouldn't be too surprising when you elect hundreds of Republicans who campaign on the government being unable to solve any problems or accomplish anything, they then get into office and prove themselves right, at least when they're at the, the, the helm. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's, but the, but, let me just ahead. say the, yes. this fundamental question, is it the role of government to make sure that everyone gets health care? Is health care a right? And I have seen at town hall meetings, it's all on tape, where Republicans will get up in front of their constituents and say, no. This idea that people are responsible for their own health care um, and, and that, you know, if you get cancer, I'm sorry, you are on your own. And implicitly, well, then you shouldn't have done it. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. you, yeah. you You mentioned Congressman No Brooks said that in the other day, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the, and, and I think the majority of Americans do think that health care ought to be a fundamental right in a country, the richest country in the world, at the richest moment in history. Certainly we can do that. Yeah. Well, and, and also people, I think people do understand this. They didn't necessarily understand it in, in the medical component, but they've known that the government is supposed to protect you from being killed by a terrorist or the soldier of a foreign power. They're supposed to protect you from being killed by an earthquake or by a flood or by a drought. Why shouldn't they also protect you from being killed by Zika or Ebola or any of those conditions as well? Simply because the threat to your life comes in a different form, a far more common form, by the way, not in the case of Ebola necessarily, but other uh, diseases far more common than those other threats that we all accept the government should protect us from. Right. Uh, and one of the... We, we've been dancing around this issue. Why are the House Republicans doing this? It seems to me that they just want to get 
rid of it, right? They don't care almost. They want to get it out of the house. Oh, they wish that by but, uh, <laughs> passing it, they get rid exactly. of it. Exactly. I think it may turn around. I believe it'll turn around to bite them in the butt too. But they, in other words, if they get a, if they pass a bill, then they can then, as you point out, they can go back to their constituents and say, we promised we would repeal Obamacare. We have repealed Obamacare. Yeah, except Obamacare. that they're really misreading their constituents. That's that's No, I think they're really you do. misreading their constituents. As I said, health care is the most personal thing to them. You have a child like Jimmy Kimmel, but, you know, we heard that and it was so emotional. But there are many children that are born with a pre-existing condition, that are fragile, yeah. that need health care, that can't be burdened with a lifetime cap that you could run out of uh, on the insurance coverage, that you could run out of in a year if you have a child with hemophilia. Um, if you have a child with some sort of a congenital heart condition, um, whatever it is, you need to know as a parent, uh, a, a Trump voter parent, a Republican parent, that you are not going to have to struggle with this the rest of that or even after you die. I mean, people worry about their children. You know, sure. I won't be there to take care of them. It, it's just incredible the kind of insecurity that they are going to put in every single family in the United States of America. Yeah. I, I, I honestly, I don't understand what they're thinking. They are not going to get rid of it by passing it over to the Senate. Well, you know what? They're going to, I guess we back, we're back to the pottery barn rule, right? I mean, they're going to break it and they're going to own it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're going to own it. Yeah. And they're not going to, but they don't want to fix it. Yeah. They don't want to fix it. You know, it really wouldn't be that hard to do. Um, it, you know, there are a few um, tweaks that we could do. To I sound like I sound like the president. It's really that easy. <laughs> or, you know, it's so easy. Although, on the other hand, the president said nobody knew how complicated health care was. So yeah. we made buttons that said, we knew. <laughs> we knew. Yeah, we knew. Yeah, why didn't you tell him ahead of time? Yeah. Somebody should have warned him. Wait, wait. <laughs> but if you thought health care was complicated, the Middle East peace process is not complicated. As he said yesterday, he's going to he's going to solve that. You know, Jared, wasn't that refreshing? Jared, Jared can take care of it. Yeah. Jared oh. <laughs> Kushner, you know, isn't he in charge of just about everything? But I know he's in charge of that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. What, Jamie? What, what did Trump say yesterday about us? Oops. Sorry. Everybody should turn off their cell phones, starting with me. <laughs> Including the uh, example. <laughs> I would love to be a mediator, or an arbitrator, or a facilitator. We're going to get this done, Donald Trump said. He also said historically that b- both the sides in that conflict have worked together very well in the past. And there are instances where that's been the case, but I wouldn't say that that's the overriding narrative. <laughs> that is definitely not. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. But, you know, you know what's really frightening? The president of the United States does not have a clue what's in this bill that, that oh. he oh. is supporting. I, think, I mean, not a clue. Yeah. If he had to do more than um, 140 you know, characters, characters right. um, to explain this bill, he really couldn't do it. He has no sense of what this abomination that they call Obamacare is. He has no sense of really what it does and no interest in finding out. That's the really frightening part, too. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, he's he's carrying the banner and he's uh, and he's tweeting. But um, the consequences are completely unknown to him. 
So we'll have the vote today. Do you know, is it scheduled at any particular time Well, today? I, I saw the, the latest that they uh, may start debate as early as 9 o'clock and a vote as early as, uh, as 10 o'clock this morning. We Whoa. shall see. You know, yep. I saw there are 18. What, what I saw, the latest, is that there are 18 no's. 22 no's tubes the, uh, the, the bill, but 33 undecided. So, so we, we'll see. Yeah. I, I really don't know. So, they, they may be hearing, and I, I, in fact, I know they're hearing from their constituents So, right John, now. when you're not here, just so that everybody knows, where can people find you and follow the, the, the Young Turks? The well, normally uh, I'm hosting The Young Turks uh, multiple times per week. Yep, you can go to youtube.com right. slash uh, The Young Turks. I also host uh, an infotainment show aimed at a younger audience uh, called Think Tank. That's youtube.com slash uh, Think Tank. Uh, but I'm actually in D.C. this week. I'm going to be moderating a panel at the Tyler uh, Award for Environmental Achievement with a, a couple of uh, amazing scientists. And so I'm very thrilled to, to learn from them. We're pro-science. Right. I love it. We are, are pro-science. We're also pro-history, too. We're going to have a march for history. I think. Facts are good, too. Facts are good, too. Yeah. Congresswoman, thanks so much for fighting a good fight for Thank all you. of us. And thanks for coming Thank in today. You. John, right. great to see you. Thank welcome you. back anytime you're here. Thank and you're welcome back, too. Thank we'll you. be right back with Joe Sirincioni from the Plow Show's Fund. is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Now James Comey says, oh, he's sorry that he might have helped Donald Trump win the election. He feels terrible about it, nauseous about it. Yeah, well, <clears throat> why didn't he think about that before he did it? Hello, everybody. What do you say? Here we go on a Thursday, Thursday, March, May, 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 May 4. Oh, no. I just missed a couple of months there. Good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show. We are here with you to tell you what's going on today in our nation's capital, around the country, and around the globe, and here in Washington. We're perched on Capitol Hill, just down the street from the United States Congress. Tell you what's going on there. Big vote on health care this morning, maybe as early as 10 a.m. We just heard from Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky. Uh, and uh, down at uh, the White House, the president actually going up to New York today. We wonder if he's going to stop by. Trump Tower, just to uh, check things out. Hasn't been there since he was uh, elected, or since he was sworn into office. At any rate, with all the news of the day, we look forward to hearing from you what you think about it all uh, on Twitter, at BP Show. And joining us for this half hour with the uh, foreign policy update from the Donald Trump administration, to the extent that they have any foreign policy at all, other than meeting with anybody who wants to show up at the White House. It's Joe Sirincioni from the Plowshares Fund. 
Hello, Joe. You're good, good, good this morning. Good morning, Bill. Thank you, you very much, sir. You have fun jacket on. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. A nice a little, little Jerry, swag. Jerry Garcia tie. That's exactly right. Whoa. Very good. The guy's nailing it. Well, the plowshares is obvious, but, <laughs> no, but, the, but Jerry. the Jerry Garcia. Very good. Listen, it takes one to know one. You guys now. are both company <laughs> men with your logos on, with your <laughs> yeah, plowshares fun, and you got your Sally's. This uh, is my uh, Salesianum. Uh, oh, great. High, my high school jacket. So. <laughs> Represent. All right. We're all here. We'll get right to it, but first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Uh, Bill, you're getting on an airplane, right? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know who you're flying with? Uh, I'm getting on a train today, and I'm getting on an airplane uh, Sunday. And you're flying United. I am. All right, well, uh, you won't be affected by this. American Airlines confirmed yesterday that it is going to shrink the distance between the economy seats and some oh, of their new they planes. No, they cannot. They are. They cannot. They are. Now, they swear it is not going to impact legroom. I call BS. Peter, I don't know how... Peter, as somebody that, you know, you kind of have to wedge in sometimes, what, would you like to comment on this? I'm a man of large carriage, uh, and I need all the legroom leg that I can possibly get. Uh, so I don't like this idea at all. A lot of people are upset about it. Uh, no. Uh, uh, <laughs> they cannot, seriously, they cannot make economy seating any more cramped than it is. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's already a cattle car. Yeah, right? Bill, do you ever fly first class? I was just going to say, not that, I, not that I ever fly. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, yeah. But those poor people back yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Uh, here, here's the story of Scott Van Zyl. He runs a company that organizes hunting trips for foreign clients. He is a big game trophy hunter. And not only... I hate do, these people. Well, I hate them. I, hate them. I should say... He used to organize these hunting trips. DNA tests on the bodies of two crocodiles confirmed that they ate the man. They found footprints leading up to a riverbank. They found his backpack nearby. They hadn't been able to find him for a couple of days now, but they did take a look at that river uh, where they found the footprints. They killed two of the crocodiles and found out that within them they did find the DNA of Scott Van Zyl. What goes around comes around, I guess. Uh, wow. uh, you know, got what he deserved as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you yeah. know. I root for the crocodile. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, when you play with fire or crocodiles, <laughs> don't be shocked when you get eaten. <laughs> yeah, no, there are lots of ways he could have met his end. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of other animals, too, that might have done the job, but the crocodiles did it. All right. Yes, indeed. Joe Sirincioni and all the farm policy hotspots of the world. We'll tell you all about it. Just stay tuned here just a second. We'll be right back. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say on a Thursday, May 4, the Bill Press Show? Welcome. Wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours, we are right there with you, uh, starting from our our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., but reaching out to you on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Also on Free Speech TV, on WCPT out in Chicago. Our podcast, every day available at youtube.com slash, no, I'm sorry, podcast is on billpressshow.com. Yep, or on iTunes. Or on iTunes. 
And now the new thing in our world and yours is Patreon, patreon.com, where we'll be putting up all kinds of exclusive content just for you. Check it out, patriot.com. BP Show, and we urge you uh, to sign up for a very small little monthly fee. You will find uh, material there, content there, that uh, you'll find nowhere else on the Bell Press Empire, especially yeah. for Patreon, as of just a couple of days ago. So Doesn't cost up. very much at all, but if you want to pay more, you get some other cool exclusive stuff like private uh, live streams or we, Bill's going to lay down a voicemail greeting for somebody who wanted him to do a personalized voicemail greeting. Lap dance. So, no lap dances. Oh, no lap, lap dances. I've been, so I've been hearing about Lord. this. I, I, I watch you guys every morning. I, I, so I have my breakfast. I put my iPad up and I, I watch you. And you're saying this, you're going to do something on Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Yes. Is that part of this podcast? That, yeah. Is that, yeah, yeah. you have to pay for that? You have to pay for that. Okay. You it's the making of Bernie Sanders. <clears throat> I, I heard. I exclusive interviews with uh, the senator and uh, campaign aides and about the whole campaign well, and everything. I, I will Thank pay you. for that. I want to hear that. Right, it's going to be good. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> nice to see you, Joe Cironcioni, <laughs> nice head of the Plowshares Fund here in studio with us. So um, yesterday, down at the White House, Joe... I know that nobody is more relieved than you are uh, to know that peace in the Middle East is now a reality. Here's Donald Trump. We want to create peace between Israel and the Palestinians. We will get it done. We will be working so hard to get it done. And who is going to lead the negotiations? I would love to be a mediator or an arbitrator or a facilitator. And we will get this done. So, Joe, having solved the Civil War, <laughs> uh, resolved, the, or he could have prevented the Civil War, now he's going to deliver peace in the Middle East. We should have made a deal. The North and the South just yeah, should have made a deal. Made a and deal. now he says peace in the Middle East might not be as hard as people have thought. Oh, really? <laughs> really? So I, I, this has vexed every president since, um, since Truman and Eisenhower, really? Uh, have been unable to achieve this, but Donald Trump believes that he can do it because of the power of his personality, because of the power of his relationships. And if there's one theme you see that has emerged in this relationship, in this uh, presidency, it's this core belief that relationships are what everything else revolves around. Yeah. So, <clears throat> what is the reality of the ability of these two forces, sides, to come together? Is there any process? Is there any? Thing going on? Is there any, any even a little hint of reality behind his braggadocio? No, there are there are no bright spots on the horizon. Um, the the Netanyahu government in Israel continues with its expansion of of settlements, building more settlements. Just last month, authorized the construction of of, of new settlements there. Um, no talks going on between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Abbas has tried. Uh, various times to make peace, but his own Palestinian uh, uh, political forces are split, obviously divided between uh, Hamas and and the Palestinian Authority. Um, he's a fairly weak Palestinian leader. So, no, I, I, I don't see anything that's going to change in the near future. So the other uh, <clears throat> thing we've heard talked about is that they... So these two sides may not, never be able to come together. But if you can get the Arab states around to agree on a plan, uh, 
But some of those Arab states still haven't recognized the existence of the state of Israel. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, no. Uh, Jordan, uh, Egypt, I think those are actually the only two. I'm trying to remember if there's any more. No, the rest just, just haven't recognized it. So there's no sign. So this— Even see, Saudi Arabia? Has not recognized Israel. Right. So this is— Only been around since 1948, right? So. Right. So they don't have embassies. They don't have diplomatic uh, talks. No, nothing like that. So if there's one you know, possible— coherence to the foreign policy. It's this belief that you have to reestablish relationships with America's allies. So cozy up to Egypt, al-Sisi, invite him to the White House, which he did, uh, have, have talks, praise him in the hopes that, that these kinds of relationships, so in this case with the Arab states, would somehow yield a dividend uh, down the road, their support for some kind of peace process. Well, now, in terms of cozying up, uh, Donald Trump has indicated recently that he's willing to cozy up almost to anybody who will cozy up with him, uh, including President Duterte from the Philippines. He he even says yeah. he'd like to sit down and he'd be honored to meet with Kim Jong-un. Yes. So are, are there any, and President Erdogan of Turkey, I think, too. You know, y- like, yes. So are, are there, does anything go? I mean, <laughs> so, are there any standards for... Who gets a the honor of a presidential visit or visit to the White House or even a phone call? There does not appear to be. So, <laughs> so this is what we we have a, a president who does not really have a foreign policy. He has a set of impulses, and then he says these things. He does these things, and his staff and observers are forced to try to connect the dots. Is there some logic that puts these things together? So the Duterte invitations surprised his staff. Surprised for many observers, this was it. This was the thing that just tipped it right over the edge. I mean, you're inviting this mass murderer, this people who who kills journalists, who 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 bragged Hitler killed three million Jews. We have three million drug addicts. I'd like to slaughter them all. Huh. You know, this is what the man said. He is the person you want to invite to the White House. He's the one you want to have a relationship with. The the, the the justification the White House staff gives, so Michael Anton, the director of strategic communications at the White House, boy, there's a job you wouldn't want to have. <laughs> no, thank you. No. You know, yeah, by the way, that sounds like a contradiction in terms. Strategic, strategic communications <laughs> in the Trump White House? You know, he says, look, we can't force countries to do things, so what we have to do is build uh, relationships, and, and in the course of those building relationships, we'll find common interests. Or Senator Bob Corker says, what the president's trying to do, the, the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, a, a decent, reasonable man, he, he says what the president's doing is a search for commonality. You know, what do we have in common? Let's start with that and build up. So you see people trying to create a framework, but what this really is, at its core, is just a, an authoritarian leader who's attracted to other authoritarian leaders. The one common thread of the people he likes is that they're all authoritarians. President Trump has decided that he's going to reward murderers and torturers with honor and praise. And this is the core principle behind his foreign policy. These are the people he likes. These are the people he admires. These are the people he becomes friends with whether it's the president of, of China, uh, Xi Jinping, mm-hmm. or it's the, the leader of Egypt, uh, al-Sisi, al- or now Duterte of, of the Philippines. The, all the strongmen. It, it's hard to find 
a Democratic leader that he actually praises, that he has a good relationship with. But when you put wow, when you put um, like and extend the same open arms, if you will, or or the same level of respect uh, to a Justin Trudeau of Canada yeah. or a Theresa May or an Angela Merkel as a Rodrigo Duterte from the Philippines. Exactly. I mean, what does it all mean? I mean, it, it looks like we and I'll CC from Egypt. We stand for nothing. We stand for nothing. What What are our values? We, we, clearly, sub, several t- things have happened. One, the the United States used to stand for democracy and human rights. This is what we would promote around the world. This is what we would press other leaders on. Donald Trump hasn't said a word about human rights. Not a word. He do, and it certainly doesn't come up in his meetings um, with these leaders. He's taken no actions on this. Okay, how about things like uh, the South China Sea, freedom of navigation? This is, we actually have missions called Freedom of Navigation where yep. Navy ships... We, will, we had a former Secretary of the Navy right <laughs> in your seat oh, I saw that. yesterday... Secretary Ray Mabus, who was yeah. talking about this freedom yeah. of navigation. So we haven't done any. So yeah. we would put these ships into areas where China contests this is yeah. their zone. And we would assert, no, we have freedom of navigation. Haven't done any of that with China. Why? Well, because he had a very nice dinner with the leader of China. And now he's chocolate going, cake. <laughs> a most beautiful piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so and so. So, the, you know, even U.S. strategic interests are pulled back from these relationship-building exercises that he's having with... And, it, and so then you get to this, you have to go to the psychological level. What, what He appears to be attracted to strong male leaders. That's, that's what it is. But, and starting with Vladimir Putin, of course. Starting right. with Vladimir Putin, the top of the yeah, list. He's a strong man. He's a strong Kim, leader. Kim yeah. Jong-un, a smart cookie. A smart Obviously, cookie. he's a pretty smart cookie. There yeah. he is. That's now, good, Jamie. <laughs> uh, 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 now, so I want to talk particularly about that meeting. He yeah. says he'd be honored, honored to yeah. meet with him. If if he sits down across the table, maybe not even at the White House, anywhere, but for Trump it would probably be at the White House, sits down across from Jim Ong, doesn't that elevate him? Oh, absolutely. Where, where we're basically saying we are – Members of the nuclear club together. Right, right. So here's the thing. Right. And this is the How thing about the deal making. This is uh, this, this is what you. This is the opposite of what you want to do. So yes, at some point you could have a meeting with Kim Jong Un and Donald Trump, and that photo would be worth gold to Kim Jong Un. Oh. It'd be a very strange photo. One, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> lot well, a lot of discussion of hair in that photo. <laughs> but but that would be you. That would convey prestige and honor and. Uh, to Kim Jong-un, who was solidified leadership. So that's the thing at the end of the road. That's what you give somebody when they've already agreed agree to do what you want. You don't open up with that. And this is what people are, are, are flummoxed about, Donald Trump's strategy. He's giving away concessions, praise and honor, invitations to the White House without getting anything. That's. I think that's a really interesting point because I, I had this conversation with a conservative friend who's not necessarily a big Trump supporter but didn't like the fact that Barack Obama engaged in so much diplomacy, mm-hmm. right? And he says, well, you know, oh, yeah. he was ta- he was saying, you know, well, you know, Barack Obama was a big believer in diplomacy, and, you know, Donald Trump has taken that to the next level. He's saying, you know, I'll meet with anyone, 
You know, any world leader I'll talk to and meet with, and that's real diplomacy, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think you just made it the the, the best point. That's this is not where you start. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So let's take uh, Al Sisi. So this is the leader of, of Egypt. Yeah. This is a man who killed nine hundred peaceful demonstrators in one day. He's jailed over sixty thousand people. He comes to the White House. You you would have thought this was Donald Trump's best friend. This yeah, speech. Yeah. He praises him effusively and go and we were going to have a short meeting and turned into a long meeting and this is and what do we get out of this meeting? There's we had, there was one prisoner released, uh, an, an American Egyptian uh, charity worker who was uh, spent three years in one of his jails and was released. That's a good thing. Okay, how about the other sixty thousand that have been jailed unjustly or Erdogan from Turkey? Another man that Trump praises. This man has jailed more, killed more journalists than any any mm-hmm. leader in the world. Has fired hundreds of uh, of thousands of and you civil have this, uh, servants. The International Commission, which is uh, examining the last election because they think it was corrupt, and Donald Trump calls him and congratulates him on a great victory. So, so murderers, torturers, these are now Donald Trump's best friends. What is happening in North Korea is probably oh, yeah. most serious threat today, or certainly one of the most serious. But yeah. I don't see anything happening except saber. Well, they, they continue to test every missile they can get on the launch pad, and on our side, it's just pure saber rattling. Right? We send the fleet up, except they got lost. They were on their way to Indonesia. Uh, everybody talks about we're not taking the military option off the table. Donald Trump even says we could have a very, very serious military conflict. A major, major conflict. Ma- ma- yeah, yeah, that's true. Right. So it looks like, I mean, nobody's talking about resuming talks. It's all military, military, military. Well, uh, almost. There are... Uh, is anything again, else? Again, this policy is fairly incoherent, and the, and this, the staff of the White House have Try to present this as a coherent package. Rex Tillerson, the 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 head of the ghost ship that is now yeah. state, yeah. the State Department gave a speech yesterday, and he tried to put this in in, in frame. And one, um, they want to enforce existing sanctions, and this is true. We have a whole set of existing right. sanctions. People aren't. Uh, really doing it. So you want to convince other countries to do it. This is, by the way, is one of the justifications the staff came up with for the Duterte meeting. Why are we cozying up to the Philippines? Because we need the Philippines' help in North Korea. Actually, no, you don't. They have almost nothing to do with North Korea. There's no business. There's no sanction. Okay, so then you want to do that. Two, you want to threaten military force, that there are dire consequences. But three, and the big card is really China. You Somehow you want China to fix this problem for us. Man, that is a losing bet. If you think China's going to fix this so for us, really, you haven't been paying attention. China's going to p- save our bacon, yeah, right? That's pretty much the bet right now. We're going, we're going heavy uh, on China. Now, it, in the end, most people believe that you've got to talk. You've got to have a negotiated deal. That's how you solve this. And to his credit, you know, President Trump has broken that that uh, uh, that barrier. I'm willing to talk. I'm willing to talk. But that there's no sense of, of when or how or what the conditions are. It all just but floats around. You also don't, I think you already made this point, you don't start with the two principles right. talking when there's no groundwork right. done about whether what possible avenues, right, concessions we could get out of them or we could, whatever. I mean, if you so, start, if Donald Trump sits down with 
Kim Jong-un, just the two of them, with no preliminary talks, nothing's going to happen. Uh, exactly. What, so Except one of the to compare hairstyles. One of the bright spots <laughs> is you seem to see it dawning on the administration that there really is not a military option. There is no military option with uh, North Korea. So even You hear Democrats talk Why about... Because any military action would lead to a, a conflagration unlike anything we've seen since the last Korean War. There is, this is the highest concentration of military force in the world on the Korean Peninsula. Conventional forces alone are enough to devastate Seoul. Both north and south. Both north and south. Uh, the firepower that's been amassed there is enormous. People estimate that in the first few hours of a conflict, hundreds of thousands of South Koreans would die from just the artillery and rockets that North Korea has ranged on, on Seoul. So if we lobbed in a few cruise missiles the way right. we did in Syria, uh, the response would be different. The trouble is North Korea shoots back, and that's what you're worried about. You have two unstable, inexperienced leaders with immense military power under their authority. One of these people could make a mistake. That's why people worry about North Korea more than any other spot on Earth right now. I, it's that old saying, what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object? <laughs> yeah. Donald Some, Trump and Kim yeah, Jong-un Jong are sort of heading in that direction. Uh, I was looking at your website earlier today, and I saw a smiling picture of you uh, alongside of Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Yes. On the occasion where you uh, delivered these petitions to the Congress. Yes. Uh, what was that all about? We had a wonderful press conference yesterday, uh, 17 different non-government organizations like uh, uh, Women's Action for New Directions and uh, Credo, people you've had on your show before, delivered a half a million petitions, a half a million Americans signed a petition in support of the Markey-Lew bill. Now, that's Ed Markey and mm -hmm. Ted Lew from mm -hmm. California. I saw them back in the background there. And there's 34 yeah. other members of Congress, including um, Walter Jones, a Republican, including Barbara Lee have signed this to tr keep Donald Trump's finger off the nuclear button. How so? To, to restrict his ability to use a nuclear weapon first. So if, if Donald Trump wakes up in the morning and is upset by something he sees on TV, he could order a nuclear strike. He's the only one in the government that has the authority to do it. Once he gives the order, no one can stop him. What Markey and Lou were saying is no. If you're going to start a nuclear war, you have to come to Congress first. We, Congress, have the sole authority to declare war, including nuclear war. This is the most consequential and now undemocratic decision anybody in the government can make. Congress should be involved in this. And this thing is picking up steam. It's, it, it's a crazy policy to begin with, but when you have a president like Donald Trump, it really uh, exacerbates the issue. People are afraid of what Donald Trump might do. Right. I, I was just going to point out, I, I am for that bill. And for that policy, I don't care who's in the White House. Right. The idea that any one person could order a nuclear strike, a first strike, based on how much of you and I have talked about this before. What do they have? Maybe four minutes, right, to get all the information before they actually push the button? A handful of minutes to get the information, yeah. get a briefing, and then once you, once you give the order, the missiles fly within four minutes. And no oh, one it. can yeah. countermand the President of the United States. No one. That is just Whew. insane. Yeah. And, and as, as in, in reality, there have been several um, false alarms, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we, we've, we've almost, almost gone to We've almost war. launched. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Or been in situations like the, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis, where we dodged the bullet, you know, by, 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 by luck, by sheer luck. And we had much more temperate, considered leaders at the helm 
in those times. That's why we're getting more and more support for this, including Chris Van Hollen, who came out in support and joined the press conference. You know, a real sort of centrist Democrat, now the head of the Senate uh, Congressional Committee. And I remember reading about one case where someone out in some missile silo in North Dakota or something had put a like a training video. Oh, yes. And and this guy sees the training video of Russian rockets or Soviet that heading our way. And he doesn't realize it's a training video. He thinks it's for real. That's right. And he yeah. flashes the alarm. And for, right. For, so, for, fortunately, thank God, his commander said, mm, you sure that's the real thing? Right. So all the screens at NORAD are flashing. Yeah. You see those lines that you see in the, in the movies. They, were actually, they actually do do that. Mm. And they see the missiles coming over the pole and they think it's happening. And fortunately, they, they checked and there was no other out, external radar data to support this. And they said, whoa, 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 whoa. But... The national security advisor was on alert. The president was about to be woken up. So, again, a matter of Good minutes uh, before something terrible happened. What's the latest on Syria? Hey, really quickly, Wait, before you get there, there's a little bit of breaking, breaking news. There's a little bit of breaking news. Donald uh, Trump. No, no, no. no. From, oh. from Beirut, Russia, Iran, and Turkey have signed a deal during talks in Kazakhstan calling for setting up, quote, de-escalation zones uh, yes. in Syria. That well, just came across. So that leads into the right Syria Right into Syria. Question. Yeah. Yeah, so this is the the, the, the sl- slightly good news. Mm-hmm. So the military situation oh, right. is yes, I like that. The, uh, the, so the, the we have the killing there right at this meeting. I we're, think, we're, we're sending someone. Yeah. I don't think we're they've arrived someone. yet. Okay. So these talks right. are continuing, and so the U.S. is starting to join these talks. Um, and so you've heard Putin and Trump say some nice things about each other. They had a phone call just the other day, and the the military situation is really at a stalemate at this point. The killing continues. The, the strike we did on the airfield about a month ago now did seem to stop the chemical strikes, no further chemical strikes, but hundreds of Syrians continue to die. He still drops barrel bombs. There's still bombing runs. But they're talking about a step to set up some areas where you can pull back the troops, where you can have a no, bo- no bombing zones, where you can allow some humanitarian relief. It's a, it's a, a, a small step, but it's better than no steps at all. And um, meanwhile... Bashar al-Assad solidifies his position, doesn't he? I mean, is it- yes, continues to be propped up by Russia and and Iran, and is hoping to stay in power and be part of, and rule a large part of Syria. But Maybe how, dreams of how realistic are everybody? these safe zones? I mean, how would they work? It's they, tough. They carve out like a geographic area, and they yes. say, okay, you can't drop any bombs in here, and so all the Syrian people are going to. What are these going to be, refugee camps? I mean, they're just going to flood into the desert somewhere? And yeah. yeah. All this is unclear, and some of them do involve existing urban areas where you would, okay. you, would, you, would, you would pull back. But then, of course, you know, it tends to be in areas where the uh, Syrians have already consolidated, Assad's forces have consolidated control, or they don't, they don't have any prospects of getting control, not the real contested uh, areas still. Uh, but I don't see how it revo- resolves anything. No, it doesn't by itself. I mean, uh, hopefully it would save some lives. I, 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 I mean, clearly what you want is a complete ceasefire. So not just zones of ceasefire, but the whole everybody stop shooting. And we've had brief periods of that in the past. That's what they're working towards. Uh, I know the Trump administration has been talking about this. Have they come to any resolution? Have we seen any hints of what they're going to do about the Iran nuclear deal? They have. They're still reviewing it. They say it doesn't appear that they're going to pull the plug on it directly. Most of the action right now is actually up in the, in the Senate 
where the Senate Foreign Relations Committee probably uh, by the end of this month is going to mark up a new sanctions bill. And that's a very tricky situation. Uh, Democrats and Republicans, they all think, well, what the heck, let's put more sanctions on Iran. Well, if you start placing sanctions on Iran that Iran thinks violate the deal, and the way the bill is written right now, it does, this bill, S-722, would violate the deal on our part. Mm. We would be putting sanctions back on that we promised we would lift. Well, that allows... Uh, uh, Iran to say, okay, you avoided the deal. We get to walk. We get to get out of jail free card. We get to go back and build our, our centrifuges and and build up our capacity. So it's very tricky business. Most of the action right now is in the Senate rather than uh, anything that the administration is doing. Yeah, this is great. So we leave the deal in place. We just uh, ignore it or violate it. You just violate it. That's right. You just break the terms of the deal. Without is Iran living up to the their side of the deal so they far are. as we know? They are. And I mean, p- partially it's, it's very easy to verify because they destroyed two-thirds of their centrifuges. They shipped out all the uranium gas. They disabled their plutonium reactor. So it's physical things you can see they don't have anymore. We have inspectors on the ground. They continue to do some work with some centrifuges, but it's quite quite limited. There's no signs of, of cheating so far. Some questions have come up. They've gone up to the limit sometimes, but then mm-hmm. there's mechanisms in the agreement to resolve those. They've been resolved. So the IAEA and the U.S. State Department keep continually reaffirm that Iran is complying with the deal. They are much further away from the ability to make a bomb now than any time before the deal. Well, we we wanted you to come in today because we thought only you could answer the question Uh-oh. about what is the Donald Trump foreign policy, and you answered it. You said he doesn't have one. No, for, no Donald Trump foreign policy, <laughs> just a set of impulses. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> God save the republic. Joe Sony, always great to see you, my friend. Thank you. My and pleasure, And uh, remember, you can follow Joe and find Joe and all the great work they're doing at the Plowshares Fund at Plowshares. Dot org, P-L-O-U-G-H, plowshares.org. Thanks, Joe. Thank Congressman you, Mark Pocan from Wisconsin coming up uh, and working his magic here on the Bill Press Show. Obviously, he's a pretty smart cookie. Download our podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Thursday, May 4. That's the date. The Bill Press Show. That's the program. You're part of it. Thank you for joining us as we reach out to you coast to coast on YouTube, on WCPT in Chicago, on Free Speech TV, and on our podcast as well. Thank you for joining us. We are coming to you live from our nation's capital, where we're brought to you today by the international, by the United, I'm sorry, the United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Girard. The United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. We salute them, thank them for the support of the program, where we are so pleased to welcome back a very good friend of the program from Wisconsin's 2nd Congressional District. Uh, the Honorable Mark Pocan. Hello, Congressman. Great to see you. Great to see you guys. Glad to be here. Congressman, and known um, for many other many things uh, here in our nation's capital, including his skills as a magician. 
I just saw another article about you working your magic with your colleagues there. CBS came by last week, and they taped us taping. We post a Magic Monday video on Mondays um, in the office. We try to explain Washington to my constituents a little bit, which is sometimes pretty hard to explain. And uh, But we do it with a magic trick to make it, you know, just something a little different than the stuffiness of Washington. And uh, CBS did, ran it on their national uh, news on Tuesday. So we got uh, a lot of people noticing. And now, I but, saw that, and I thought all these uh, – all these. Uh, 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 times that you've been in the studio. I mean, yeah. you well, you know, you magic on magic radio for... is kind of like <laughs> the worst. <laughs> Here, pick a card, any card. Don't, okay, don't, don't let me see it or yeah. anyone listening. <laughs> you can really easily fool a lot of people yeah, by yeah. being the radio magician. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh my God! If you if you if you're not watching and you can only listen right now, the congressman just pulled a rabbit yes. out of his coat pocket. <laughs> what an amazing magician! I was going to ask you if I brought my top hat. Today, could you pull yeah. a, a rabbit or a dove or something out of it? You know, I people mean. on Free Speech TV and other uh, video sources might be able to tell we weren't doing it, but for the listeners, it's just it's not the same effect. That's why magic is a visual art uh, rather than an audio art. So, but uh, you've been doing this for a long time, right? Since I was eight. You know, I actually um, what? Helped, yeah, yeah. Really? I, I used to check out library books in Kenosha on magic, and the librarian noticed it. Kenosha, Wisconsin, where I grew up, and she noticed that, and she said, "You want to do a magic show?" So she uh, had me do a magic show. I was probably Nine, ten years old. Um, uh, I got paid two fifty cent McDonald's certificates, so I was on a roll. And then I went around <laughs> all the other library branches and did shows. And I won a junior magician contest in Wisconsin when I was fourteen. Went on to the Midwest, took third place when I was like in junior high school. And um, paid Wait, for there's a magician contest oh, yeah, in Wisconsin. Yeah, we had at the time. <laughs> at the time, I don't know if there still is. And uh, I remember I participated in a public speaking contest yeah. when I was in high school, but I don't remember any. In Delaware, any magician contest. Oh, and then, you know, help pay for college doing that. I also luckily got Pell Grants and loans. I grew up in a lower middle class family, so I needed all that help. But, you know, I worked doing that, and um, so I still do it for a little bit of fun. Um, one of the best shows I ever, of course, Penn and Teller are awesome. Right. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. I've seen them in Vegas. And the other is I'm just, the illusionist, they call him David, David Copperfield. Oh, David Copperfield. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable so, stuff that I mean. We had an art of magic resolution last year that was introduced um, by a, another member from Texas, and uh, it went nowhere for a number of reasons. Although I, I think it should pass someday because it's something that's very nonpartisan. But um, David Copperfield came to town, and Whoa, so I got a chance really? to meet him, and okay. then he wanted to see a magic trick. So talk about nervous, you know? No. I mean, it's one thing to do it for <laughs> you know the president or the vice president, but it's a whole other thing to do it for David Copperfield if you're a magician. I mean, as a kid, I had posters up of David Copperfield, so. That was pretty nerve-wracking, um, but he wanted you to do a magic trick for yeah, him. Yeah, and, and he has a, a museum in Las Vegas, and he wants a, a DVD. This is our third year of doing these videos uh, of those to put in the museum as well. So it's it's nice when you know something you as a kid used to always. Oh my God, that's David Copperfield, and now he's like, Hey, let's do a magic trick. So that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would say professionally. What's the difference between a magician and an illusionist? Allu- generally, very generally, an illusionist has the big tricks on stage. They yeah, cut people yeah. in, all, in half and all that. Um, and has cars just appear yeah, and disappear. Per- I mean, I couldn't Personally, I appreciate What I appreciate, I think, the most these days are people who can give a deck of cards and can do amazing things with a deck of cards or a coin or something, you know, the close-up type magic. Uh, but there's a resurgence because of the illusionist, because of the show, the magicians, and some other things. Right now, there's like five major shows going on in New York City. Um, mm-hmm. So, 
But it's just, you know, a little something that you can still explain politics. I did a really uh, a video a few weeks back explaining Trump care. And if you get a chance, uh, we'll send it to you, uh, oh, you know, no. through magic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it this way. In the end, you didn't get health care and you didn't get a tax break. I was the one in one percent in the, the thing. And magic. I got everything. And you, everyone else got nothing. That's all. Right. Uh, <laughs> send it to us and we'll send it out. For sure. Okay. Yeah, Share absolutely. it with all absolutely. Of our people. Okay. Yeah. Well, speaking of think, uh, making things disappear, Today, in a vote, Republicans might make Obamacare disappear, they think, right? Well, you know, What's going on? So their goal, I think, all along has been twofold. One, to check a box that said they got rid of Obamacare, regardless of what that meant. They had to check that box. And two, start the work on uh, shifting the tax base from uh, those who are the wealthiest paying their fair share back onto the middle class. And that's what this bill does. There's over $600 billion of tax cuts, largely for the wealthiest in this country, insurance companies, big pharma. And then they take away health insurance coverage from 24 million people, make older Americans pay more. And now with the changes, they took a bad idea that had 17 percent public support and made it even worse. By now, states can uh, decide to like pre-existing conditions and other essential health benefits don't have to be covered, which means even people who don't have the Affordable Care Act may no longer get the same quality of health care mm-hmm. they had before. And to boot, they'll probably wind up paying more because when you have fewer people uh, getting health care, they're going to have to go to emergency rooms and other things. Someone's got to pick up that cost. Ultimately, we all do. So this is really a huge bait and switch. It's for the it's for the wealthiest benefactors of the Republican Party. And, you know, if there's ever been an issue... Uh, I can't advocate for people to go and uh, raid their members' offices and attend their uh, town halls uh, technically, but if I was one of them, that's what I would be doing next week when everyone's back home. Yeah, right, and let's hope that they do. Absolutely. Um, why can't you encourage people to I do that? I think technically we're not allowed to do it. That's why I say if I was one of those people, that's what yeah. I'd be doing, but I can't encourage people to do what I would be doing if I was in that district. Right. I could say it like this, uh, but I can't be real direct. The, the bottom line is... Uh, Yesterday, there was a member of Congress. I did the special order hour for the Progressive Caucus yesterday, and right before, there was a member from Arizona talking about, <laughs> this doesn't really say if you have pre-existing conditions, you can't get health insurance. That's a lie. Well, here's what it happens. It doesn't say you won't, you can't yeah, get yeah. it, but your but, cost will be so much because they can jack it up that you won't have it. So for them to be so disingenuous to their constituents and the American people, they should really quit government and get a job with the big insurance companies because that's what they're doing all the work for. Just get the pay check directly instead of indirectly <laughs> and uh, it was just it was so shameless listening to that and, and the outright lies about that it, it, you know, if you have a, a past form of cancer. They're going to increase your rate so much that for the average person, they're not going to be able to afford insurance anymore. That goes way beyond uh, what the Affordable Care Act uh, did. Because don't forget, the Affordable Care Act made sure people who have insurance also had better coverage and overall lower costs. And all that's going to change under this new plan. Now, um, what you say is absolutely true. But so there were some Republicans, moderate Republicans, who didn't like the fact that the to please the Freedom Caucus, they allowed states to have this waiver where they could, in effect, right. charge people, allow insurance companies to charge people more for pre-existing yeah. conditions, which is the same as dropping the pre-existing conditions protection. Right. So yesterday, you go down the White House, Fred Upton and Billy Long, and they convinced Donald Trump, okay, we're going to put $8 billion into this over, over the next yeah. five years. That's They say now, we've taken care of the people with pre-existing conditions by creating this special fund, right. this this uh, 
what MacArthur Amendment or something they called yeah. it? I forget what it is. Yeah. yeah, the MacArthur Amendment was the First Amendment, and oh, then the Upton I, is the follow-up. Oh, the though. Upton Amendment. Yeah. Okay. So the Upton Amendment, they say, fixes the whole thing, so you're not up to date. Yeah. So why does a magician have a magic wand? A magic wand is not because it has magic in it, but it's because while you're looking at the magic wand, you're doing something else. That's called misdirection, and that's exactly what that $8 billion is. When they tell you, oh, no, we've got money to make sure that those people get mm-hmm. coverage, the Kaiser Family Foundation came out and said uh, that that $8 billion will cover about 160,000 people over five years. There are up to, I think I have seen one estimate of 100 million people who have pre-existing conditions in this country. I saw 129. 129. Between 50 and 129 and, million, and which is a big Kaiser gap. Kaiser Family Foundation said 160,000 people will be covered by that $8 billion. That'd be like going in for open heart surgery, and at the end of it, they say, I've got one Band-Aid to put on you. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So it is pure misdirection, and... Uh, um, you know, I think our job is to make sure people understand it. And then one more thing, don't forget, Bill, unless they change it today, which I got to think they're going to have to consider, they exempt members of Congress and our staffs from this crappy bill. So first of all, the Trump administration calls it Ryan Care. Uh, Ryan uh, and the Republicans call it Trump Care. First of all, no one wants to put its name on it. You know Washington. People yeah. want to put your name on oh. you know, anything that you've done. Subway stop. Right, subway stop. You name it. They want to put their name on it. Uh, but no one wants to put their name on this one. And uh, now... Uh, so I want to be sure I heard you correctly. Yeah. Members of Congress are exempt. Yes, so where we were the only people in the country that had to have the Affordable Care Act because Republicans you know, wanted to make a point, now they're doing just the opposite. They're exempting themselves uh, from this law. And so I think in the end that's another issue that people should look at this. And this is a bunch of charlatans putting forth uh, a package for the insurance industry. Uh, again, uh, they all anyone who votes for this uh, should have to, in 2018, go officially work for an insurance company and quit pretending they work for the people of this country. Could this be the best thing that ever happened to Democrats? Yes and no. Yes, politically, I, I think this is a uh, huge albatross. But unfortunately, you know, tens of millions of people will lose yeah. access to health insurance if this actually becomes law. So, you know, I have to admit, I mix. There's a political part of me saying, finally, we have a way to, uh, you know, expose these people uh, for what they're really about. But at the same time, that it, that exposing has a huge price. The, the, you know, you, when you mention that about exposing exactly who they are, I think that. In the very brief period of time, although it feels like it's been an eternity, the brief period of time that Donald Trump has been president, these Republicans have shown exactly who they are. And Absolutely. it is, I mean, it's not really a shock to me, but I, I hope that the message is getting out there that they don't know how to govern, they don't know what they're doing, they're terrible leaders, and they have really bad ideas. Absolutely. And, you know, I think... This bill will really be, I think, probably the biggest one we've had out there. I mean, it's one thing for him to, you know, be the tweeter in chief and, you know, the fact they can't get things done. I mean, people don't care about process. Sure. But this is the most concrete example of what they really think about the American people, which is nothing. Uh, they are doing this strictly uh, for the richest to give them tax breaks. They're doing this strictly for the insurance companies to so not have to cover people uh, like they need to. And in the end, we're going backwards at a time that I think, you know, Democrats, Republicans, and independents still want to see us move forward, maybe in slightly different ways. But no one actually wants to go back to the days where if you are sick, you can't get health insurance because that was when it was profit insurance for those companies, not health insurance. And that's exactly what they're doing is they're going backwards. Now, we are assuming that um, there is going to be a vote today. Uh, And there will only be a vote if they have the votes. Mm -hmm. They know they have the votes ahead of time. How confident are you that they, they, 
they're 18, I think, against it. If they lose 22, the bill is yeah, dead, right? Yeah, they've got right? like uh, And there's 30-some uh, undecided. So how confident are you that they really do will have the votes? They are acting like they have it. They didn't act like they had it when last time they oh, set that arbitrary okay. date and yeah. couldn't put it together. Right. Um, I, I'll tell you, if you saw the vehicles coming between the White House and the Capitol Hill yesterday, there were a lot of uh, a lot of traffic going back and forth. I mean, they yeah. worked this very, very hard to get, I think, where they're at with this. So uh, we're assuming at this point that they are going to try to pass it. Um, today, and they've given us a calendar that actually shows specific times they're going to vote on it. Uh, isn't it instructive, though, that that they control the House, right? They've got the majority in the House, and they've had this hard of a time just getting, because there are no Democratic votes, when Ryan, just getting when Republican, Ryan made the, enough Republican votes. When Ryan made the honest but telling statement of they're having a hard time transitioning from an opposition party to a, a governing party, when they've been in charge since 2011, it took six yeah. years. Yeah. Um, but here's the the real thing. You know, one of the Republicans I fly with made the comment, they keep feeding the beast, the beast being the Tea Party. Mm. You have now given the keys of control to the totally. U.S. government totally. to 40 people who belong to the Freedom Caucus by the, doing what they did today on the health care bill. And I think that's the real question. Even if your member of Congress is one of those moderate Republicans that you think is a decent person and they agree with you on some issues, they vote for leadership that allows the Tea Party to actually call all the shots, that means they are no different than the people who just gutted health care for tens of millions of people. Right, yeah. Um, th- these, these are the people, the The Speaker of the House is Mark Meadows, head of the Freedom Caucus, basically, or at least. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and let's face it, you know, they're, they don't believe in government. That's part of why we've had this problem for all these years. So if you ultimately allow the Tea Party to completely take over, and Trump is still a, a novice, a beginner, uh, surrounded by a bunch of novices and beginners, uh, which is part of why, you know, his administration's really been on training wheels and they still fall over, you know, up to this point. I mean, last week at the end of 100 days, all you could really say is at the end of 100 days, we kept government open for a week, right? That was his culmination of 100 days, and uh, right. they yeah. just either don't know what they're doing or when they do something, they're doing it for the very worst reasons, for uh, the very worst uh, outcomes for the American people. Uh, so they kept up government open for a week, um, and but yesterday they voted to keep government open for five months. Boy, <laughs> there's progress, right? Um, well, we got the, the 2017 appropriations done, which gets us through uh, yeah. sep- September 30th. And it wasn't the appropriations process the way it's supposed to be, right, where you pass the appropriations yeah. bills with full debate and, and ability to amend. This was an omnibus bill. But in the end, you know, it it was a pretty decent omnibus bill, given you have the Republicans in control of the House, the Senate, and the that. White House. Th- yeah. They, they, they completely failed on this one, which is part of why I think they're pushing the health care bill so hard today. They needed something to deliver to their caucus because we only got uh, over 100 Republicans didn't vote for that bill uh, yesterday. And that bill uh, added another $2 billion to the NIH. It gave us year-round Pell Grants extension. Um, it, All uh, things that Donald Trump said he wanted to yeah, get rid absolutely. of. absolutely. Not a dime for the wall, not a dime for extra border security. Uh, all these things that were accomplished in there were the exact opposite of what Donald Trump promised. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I think that our negotiators How did a strong Republicans job. How Republicans go along with that? Well, I think that's part of why you're, today you're having this big push to get this vote in no matter what it means. This is the balance they needed to do in order to keep government open. What's interesting is, in the end, the reason you kept government open is because virtually every Democrat was there to make sure that we are still funding things that you have to fund. 
but that's a hard, again a hard argument for the public right. that we're the right. responsible ones. Hardly, uh, you know, yeah. motivating. Uh, How much money message. was in this uh, in in this uh, plant for infrastructure? Um, not in th- this plan really didn't have a, a, a infrastructure component. It was more of a maintenance uh, of effort. Now, uh, one of the things we did this week, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, that's why I was on the floor yesterday doing special order hours, we introduced um, our Progressive Caucus budget, which is kind of our statement of our values yeah. as a large uh, document that shows uh, a You've path forward. You've done this now for several years in a row, Absolutely, right? yeah. yeah. And, and one of the things there the, is the a progressive two, budget, right? Yeah, it's, progressive, it's a progressive. people's budget. People, people's good, budget. I like yeah, that. The yeah. roadmap to the resistance or for the resistance. <laughs> and, um, right. yeah. and uh, but there we have a two trillion dollar infrastructure package that invests in roads and bridges and schools and broadband and our uh, waterways. So you know, people have clean water throughout the country. And you know, I think that's the real document that when you look at uh, we can just say no to anything they put out there. And we're doing a lot of saying no. But you've got to offer that positive alternative. And I think infrastructure is one of those issues. Real people uh, in you know, the rest of the country are concerned about uh, the crumbling roads and schools and um, in broadband infrastructure that we don't have in too many rural parts of the country. And we're putting that out there with real family supporting wages. This, I think the Economic Policy Institute says our budget would add about 2.4 million jobs uh, mm. out there, good family supporting wages. Mm-hmm. And and now, can you introduce that as a competing document, or how is that? We do, and we and, uh, last time we got a majority of the Democrats to vote for our document. Uh, now we are the largest values-based caucus within the Democratic Party, about seventy-four members, but we got a lot of people who weren't members who also supported it. And I think uh, there was a, a editorial yesterday. Someone wrote in the Washington Post, and they said, "Look, this is the roadmap, not just for the resistance, but for the Democrats. If you want to move forward, and you know." claim uh, these seats that you've lost, you need to take back the majority, this is the path. So I think what we've done is we've put a lot of ideas out there uh, from universal pre-K, a a trillion dollar investment to that, to fair taxation, uh, making sure people quit hiding their profits overseas and a lot of other things that uh, we need to do to make a system that actually works for the middle class, make the rich pay a little more as they always have making sure that we're covering uh, higher education so that people can go to college and leave without uh, you know, the huge amounts of debt they have. Uh, we make a path forward for single payer for states mm-hmm. uh, within mm-hmm. uh, the, the budget we have. And we handle immigration in a smart, comprehensive way uh, so that we're not having the problems that the Republicans are putting forward. There's a lot of other ideas. We expand Social Security, a lot of things that are real, valuable, progressive ideas. But we're showing you can do those things if you have someone else in charge. Congressman Mark Bocan from Wisconsin's 2nd Congressional District here with us. You and I have talked before when we've been in about where the Democratic Party goes from here. Um, it was an interesting flap last week when um, Bernie Sanders went out to Omaha, Nebraska and mm-hmm. endorsed a progressive de- Democrat for mayor of Omaha who happens to be, if I can, I hate to use the phrase, I hate pro-life, but at least he's not an... Anti-choice. He's anti-choice. Yeah. Thank you. It's better. Um, and a lot of people raised holy hell over this, that how could we possibly... Support, if you if you are anti-choice, you can't be a Democrat. Do you agree? I think, you know, part of what Bernie and I think others are doing, if you're backing someone who's progressive on virtually every other issue, especially some of the core economic issues... Uh, can you show them maybe a different path forward uh, by where their value set actually is? And I think that's what Bernie was trying to do. So trying to go after someone for trying to advance a whole lot of other policies, I think is short-sighted, and we need to have a longer view of how you move politics forward. You know, I've often found um, when you work with someone, you're more likely to convince them to agree with you on other things if you find that common thing first. In this case, this is a guy who had 
95 to 99% of common things uh, with Bernie. And uh, now if you can work on them on the rest, uh, that's probably the single best way. But I think if we have a, a purity test, it'll be a hard time to have candidates yeah. in a lot of areas. And uh, and then you'll have even less electoral success. So what do you think the party's got to be doing now to appeal to voters in your state, one of the states that Hillary Clinton did yeah. not win. You know, I'll tell you, I've always should have. thought the core, the core we've got to do is uh, around economic uh, issues. You know, what people talk about at their kitchen tables. Uh, again, you know, I grew up in Kenosha, Wisconsin, a, a lower middle class family. Uh, most all my neighbors and family members worked making cars. We had 14,000 people out of 70,000 made cars uh, three decades ago. No one makes a car today in Kenosha. Um, the best jobs out there right now are the Amazon Distribution Center advertising up to 1275 an hour, uh, which is a big contrast yeah. from when they used to make cars. So, you know, when you don't talk about issues that people talk about at their kitchen table, which is can they afford their mortgage? Can they send their kids to college? Can they take a vacation that year? And maybe that one luxury growing up was like the camper or the snowmobile. When you're in Wisconsin, snowmobiles mm-hmm. become a, a big yeah. conversation. Um, yeah, or that a little was, family vacation, yeah, maybe a that weekend was the, away or something. That was the conversation's people had. And if you're not talking about that, you're not talking with voters. So I think those are really the core economic issues. And I think it's a lot where Bernie really connected with folks, right? Because he had that kind of economic message. And then there are a lot of other issues and parts of our coalition that are extremely important. But I think that's how you first engage people to listen. And, um, you know, I think that's something that last fall didn't happen. You know, I think the message uh, a little too often was, I'm not that person. Uh, and I look at my hometown of Kenosha, went 13 points for Obama, it changed and went one point for Trump. And more interesting, is only 1,000 more people voted for Trump than for Romney, but 9,000 fewer people voted for Hillary mm. Clinton than Barack Obama. Mm. So the choice was to stay home because they thought no one spoke to them. We can't ever have that happen again. Um, so whether it's Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, states like that, and parts of, uh, quite honestly, Iowa and Minnesota and other places where they're yeah, a little closer, right. that, I think, is the core thing that moves people. Right. Uh, and that's the that's the progressive message, which has got to be Absolutely. The, the base of the and the core message of the Democratic Party. Absolutely. Okay. And I think you're seeing that. You know, I'm watching my good friend Keith Ellison uh, go yep. around the country with Tom Perez. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Tom always was a great secretary uh, when he was in the Clinton administration. Having them go out and do what they're doing, I think, is showing a, a real change in the party. Yeah. No, absolutely. Very, very exciting time. And um, and uh, as we've talked before, the political energy right now is very, very real and exciting. Congressman Mark Bocan from Wisconsin. Always good to see you. Yeah, thank Next you. Next time you're bringing the bag of tricks in. <laughs> I'll be glad to. And I'm yeah. sure the audience right. will love listening. This <laughs> is the Bill Press Show. The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is is the Bill Press Show. Well, Donald Trump says we need to ask why there was a civil war. And Hillary Clinton says we need to ask why she lost the election. They're both wrong. We know why there was a civil war, and we know why Hillary lost, and not for the reasons that she gives either. Two days ago, Hillary told a uh, an audience up in New York City that she lost because of two reasons. External causes, James Comey, WikiLeaks, and misogyny. Without all those three factors, she said today she would be president of the United States. As Donald Trump says, 
sad. Or as Al Gore might say, she just proves that denial is not just a river in Egypt. By citing only external causes, Hillary ignores the internal problems with her campaign. Yes, Comey, WikiLeaks, and misogyny were all factors in her loss, but so were many inherent weaknesses in her campaign. It's all spelled out in that new book, Shattered by John Allen and Amy Parnes. Her lack of a message, her positions on trade, her failure to reach out to blue-collar working-class Americans, her failure to campaign in Wisconsin or devote any attention to Michigan until one week before the election, her private email server, her speeches to Goldman Sachs, and her weakness as a candidate. You know, Donald Trump was the most unpopular presidential candidate in our lifetime. It took a lot of hard work to lose to a candidate like Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton has nobody to blame but herself. This is The Bill Press Show.